Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, welcome. Yep. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. I love you, too. Uh, as many of you know, I was uh, just finished up an eight-week sabbatical, uh, and so on behalf of Morgan and myself and my family, I just want to say thank you again, sabbatical. So our church gives to every uh, full-time pastor who's been on staff and served here for 10 years, uh, um, an eight-week uh, just time off to rest, uh, mentally rest, emotionally rest, spiritually rest, and so uh, it was much needed. I'm super grateful for it, and it's not lost on me that uh, that's not something every pastor gets to do. That's not something every church uh, affords their pastors an opportunity to do. So thank you. Uh, very, very much uh, thank you. We're grateful. We had a great time as a family. Morgan and I got some time away, just she and I, uh, and we got some time away with just our family and with the kids. And so uh, again, thank you. And uh, it's good to be back. I'm excited to be here with you. And I made it easy, uh, starting Revelation 1 today. So... <laughs> Jumping back in, <clears throat> a couple of things about this morning. So, um, one, uh, we, we've got our kids with us this morning, so our kindergartners through fifth graders. Let's just welcome them today. We're grateful to have them. So, crew kids, this is the, uh, this is the second, second of two all-in Sundays. So, those all-in Sundays are designed for a couple of things. So, one, gives our, uh, some of our LPK uh, life team members, uh, we love you, by the way, LPK life team, you guys are great, um, uh, gives them a chance to rest. We have some training during that time as well. And then these particular two Sundays, next Sunday is Move Up Sunday. And so, Move Up Sunday is where if your kiddo is aging out of one environment into another, so if they're going into kindergarten this year, they'll go from juniors to crew for the first time, something like that. So, if you've got a kid who's aging into that next environment, LifePoint Kids, you can ask anyone LifePoint Kids. They should be able to tell you, you know, those age divisions. But next Sunday, your kid will go into that new environment for the first time, all right? But uh, crew kids, we are thrilled to have you guys here with us. Uh, I know uh, you might make a little noise here and there. That's okay. Uh, you guys are the next generation of faith. I think it's good uh, for you to be here and to see parents and grandparents and adults sing to Jesus and proclaim his worthiness so you can watch and see uh, what that means, all right? Uh, also, as I mentioned, we, uh, we kick off a new series today. So we are in a series that we're calling New. We're going to be studying the book of Revelation for, uh, not Revelations, by the way, just Revelation, uh, and we're uh, for the next 10 weeks. And we're calling it New because that's where we're headed with all of this. The revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John comes to its climax and its conclusion with all things made new. And I hope as we go through this book, as we go through this letter, that we don't lose sight of that. That despite uh, sometimes the difficulty in understanding it, where we're headed is all things made new. Jesus returning a new Jerusalem, a new garden paradise, better even than the one we lost in Genesis 3. A new relationship fully with the Lord God, fully in the midst of his people once again. No more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more toil. All things made new because of Jesus who died and rose again and who is coming again. That's where we're headed. And I hope that excites you. Um, if you don't know anything about the book of Revelation in general, you should know uh, it's got a baller ending. And so uh, Jesus wins. He's coming back. Satan loses. And you can be with him forever. 
And listen, right, if, if you're here today and you're a guest, uh, by the way, my name's Cale, right? And I'm, I'm glad to be with you. But if you're here today and you don't, you don't know Jesus, you don't know anything about Revelation, you don't know anything about Christianity in general, when we say you can be with him forever, that, that's the story of the gospel, God redeeming his people so that we can be with him forever. And when we say we, what we mean is everybody who's trusted Jesus with their life, who's turned from sin, and said, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God who died for my sin and who rose again that I might have new life. And one day I believe you're coming back. And there wouldn't be a we if it weren't, if it weren't for what he did on the cross. There wouldn't be an us. None of us, no one here says, hey, because I'm good, because I'm good enough, because of the things that I've done, because I'm just a really good person or I've got the right background or family or job or whatever, no, it's not because of those things that we're good people or Christian. It is because of the grace of God, which is undeserved completely, that's been poured out on our lives because of the love of Jesus. And we receive that by faith. And if you're here today and you don't know that, and maybe you're searching, maybe you came here today because somebody invited you, or you came here today because you hit rock bottom, or you came here today just wondering, man, this is sort of the last ditch effort to see if life has any meaning. I want you to know that it does, that you've been created for a purpose, and that God has sent his own son for you. And that's, that's ultimately what the book of Revelation is about. We get to see Jesus for who he is. We get to see Jesus come again. We get to see Jesus, the King, as he is right now. First thing I want you to write down there, and you know it's Revelation shows us Jesus as he is right now. We get to see Jesus as he is right now. The gospel tells us the story, right, of Christ coming, born, death, resurrection, and revelation. We get to see highlighted Jesus as he is right now and his return and the reality that if you don't know him, you can trust him today and be with him forever. In the book of Revelation, we not only get to see Jesus as he is right now, but we get to see our world as it really is, our lives as they really are. We get to see a picture, many people have said this, we get to see a picture of ultimate reality, sort of the curtain pulled back. And we're gonna talk about things here, about yes, the future, but a lot of the book of Revelation has not to just do with the future, but with right now. The unseen realities right now. What's really going on as the kingdom of God invades into the kingdom of darkness and you and I live in the midst of that. And as we see Jesus as he really is in all his glory, we sing holy, 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 and we come to know him and love him and spend eternity with him. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we read anything, let's just go to Revelation 1. If you've got a Bible, Revelation 1. We're going to be in the first eight verses this morning. Uh, we're not I'm not even going to get a chance to comment much on 5, 6, 7, and 8. Um, this morning we're going to be mostly in 1 through 4, but uh, if you're following along in the Drivecast, each day we're going through the book of Revelation in the Drivecast and reading more of that and commenting more, so you can find that in the app. It's one of the first things that'll pull up, but we'll be going through all of that in the Drivecast Monday uh, through fr Friday as well. But as we open Revelation 1, let me just preface this by saying... Um, Revelation does oftentimes, in studies of Revelation, things can get pretty weird pretty fast, right? Part of that is because of the content of Revelation itself. You've got dragons and beasts and the lion and the lamb that was slain, and you've got all these images and numbers. And, and then part of it is because of the interpretation of Revelation, which are, their interpretations are wild and varied, right? You read 10 different 
books on Revelation and none of them fully seem to agree. And, and I'm just, just so we're all clear, um, I don't have all the answers for you, right? <laughs> if you're like, he's going to unlock all of it for like, I, I don't. I don't know that anyone fully does. I, I'm learning, I'm going to be learning with you as we go through this, right? I've, I've just full confession, right? Um, I, I've always shied away a little bit from Revelation in the past. I've read it multiple times, but had never really wanted to do a deep dive into it because of how seemingly odd things get and not understanding it all fully. And some of us, you're a little nervous, right? As we head into Revelation, you're like, oh man. Others of us, you're uber excited, right? Maybe for good reasons, maybe not. Others of us, you're like, I, I don't have any idea about this. Some of us are like, Kel, I've never read it. Some of us, all you know of Revelation is the Left Behind movies, right? From the late 90s and early 2000s. And, and some of us, you're, all that comes to mind are the YouTube videos, right? That have the fire in the background and this sort of deep voice, uh, you know, over all of it and talking about how the latest decision from the UN obviously means we're in the last times, right? And, and it's sort of this scary and, and that's what you think about when you think of Revelation. And so my hope for us as we go through this is that we keep the overarching message front and center. Yes, there are some things that are hard to understand in Revelation. If you feel that way, like if you read Revelation and you're like, everybody else seems to understand it and I don't. No, they don't, all right? It is hard in some ways. There are things about it that are difficult and it's okay if you read it and go, Man, I feel a little intimidated by this. That's okay. But the overarching message the overarching themes of Christ's victory over the grave, over the enemy, and the fact that you and I are called to live faithfully in light of those realities, that is crystal clear. And hopefully we'll see that as we go through the book of Revelation. It gives us, the book of Revelation gives us vivid pictures of what's happening on earth from a heavenly perspective gives us vivid pictures of what's happening physically in the world from a spiritual perspective, and it gives us really vivid pictures of what's happening in history from an eternal perspective. Again, sort of this picture of ultimate reality, of the, the veil being lifted so that we can see the world for what it really is and where we're really headed and how it all ends. And it's not meant, and this is the next thing I want you to write down, Revelation's not meant to confuse us. It's meant to comfort us and confront us. Right? Revelation is meant to comfort us and confront us, not confuse us. Not meant to confuse. So, and it comforts us. Here's why I say that. It comforts us because that we, we know as we read Revelation, we know that we're fighting a battle that we just sang, that Jesus has already won. That's comforting to us to know the Lord is in charge. And no matter how dark things get, no matter how hard life seems at times, and no matter how sometimes it seems, you're like, man, it feels like the enemy's winning. We know that's not true. We know where this is headed. We know how it ends. We're fighting a battle that Christ has already won. It also confronts us. It confronts us with the reality of, man, who are you going to live for? What are you going to live for? Are you going to live your life for the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of pleasure and comfort and wealth and all the things that are passing away? Or are you going to live your life for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of the Lord? It's, Revelation is a call to faithfulness and a call to action in light of the victory 
of Jesus. So um, let me give you the background, right, to Revelation 1. We believe, and really to all of Revelation, we believe Revelation was written by, most likely by the Apostle John. The author calls himself John. We're pretty sure that's the Apostle John, the, the, one of the 12 disciples, the disciple that Jesus loved, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, and also three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in the New Testament. John receives this vision from the Lord. So he receives a vision from the Lord in the 8090s, right? So 60 years after Christ has been uh, crucified, resurrected, and ascended back into heaven, John's an old man at this point in time. And he's been exiled to the island of Patmos, right? He's been exiled to this island. It's where the Roman government sent their criminals of the state, enemies of the state, where they sent criminals and enemies of the state. And you're like, what did John do that he ended up on Patmos? He stayed faithful to Jesus in the midst of a hostile time. That's what he did. Most likely just for staying faithful to Jesus. He says that in the letter. He says, I'm here because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so what's happening? In the first century, Christianity is spreading, begins to spread all over the Roman Empire, rapidly, in the face of persecution. So as it began to spread, in response, persecution would often kind of spike, and, and sometimes state-sponsored, officially sponsored by the government or the emperors. It was bad under the Emperor Nero in the 80s, 60s, and then 30 years later under the Emperor Domitian, in the 89s, it spiked again and got really bad. And sometimes it's just intense pressure and you lose your job for being a Christian. You, you're uh, ostracized for being a Christian. Sometimes as much as you get ripped out of your home and you're thrown in prison or even executed for being a Christian. That's what's going on. And so in the myth, in fact, I'll read to you. Um, there's a book called Discipleship on the Edge. By the way, at the bottom of your app notes, there's a few recommended resources there for you if it's helpful to you. But a guy named Daryl Johnson wrote a book called Discipleship on the Edge. And he writes this about this time frame. He says, Domitian, the emperor, uh, was a profoundly insecure man, as most tyrants are. To compensate for his insecurity, he ordered all citizens and subjects of the Roman Empire to worship him as Lord and God. Dominus et Deus. In Latin, he changed the name, listen to this, he changed the name of the Roman Empire to Eternal Empire and called himself Everlasting King. All citizens and subjects were to go to a temple built in his honor, take a pinch of incense, throw it on the fire of the altar and say, Caesar Curios or Caesar's Lord. Domitian did not care what else people believed as long as they did this little act of worship, an act of worship which was the glue that held his empire together. That's the time in which Christians are living at that, at that point. And for many in the Roman Empire, that was not, uh, many citizens of the Roman Empire, this was not a big deal. They were polytheists, they had m multiple gods, and so there was no big deal in adding one more god to the mix. Emperor worship was not new anyway, and so it was not a big deal to just sort of add that to the pantheon of gods. The problem for Christians is that we're monotheists. We have one God expressed in three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this was a huge deal. Honor the emperor? Yes. Honor the government? Yes. Worship him? No. And so the Christians of the first century are forced into this position where the government is saying, you have to do this, right? Just go in, throw the incense in, get it over with. And John and the early Christians say, no. <laughs> Nobody else is worthy of our worship. Nobody else is worthy of our allegiance that way. We don't mix gods. We have one who's worthy of all of our adoration and praise. And so for that, he is exiled uh, to the island 
of Patmos. And in that environment, on that island, in that cultural moment, John receives a vision from the Lord to help encourage him and to help encourage the overall church. And that's where we start in Revelation 1, verse 1. It says the revelation, and that means, that word revelation means it's apocalypse in the Greek. The apocalypse, right? The unveiling or the breaking through of Jesus Christ. Again, the sort of curtain being peeled back. John, here's what's really going on. I know it looks bad, but here's what's really happening. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, let me just pause there too. In that phrase where it says that must soon take place, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, that sentence is a reference back to Daniel chapter 2. It's almost exactly the same as, as a sentence in Daniel 2 where God gave to the king uh, a, a vision of what was going to happen, of the things that must take place. But in that vision, it said the things that must take place in the latter days. Here, it's been changed. Jesus says it differently. The things which must soon take place. Right, right now. And that, that's, that's a tension we're going to live in throughout Revelation where you say, hey, this Revelation, right? I had a conversation with someone this morning. They heard Revelation. They said, oh, so like the end times, right? Far away. Do they refer to the end times? Yeah. There's a day when Jesus is coming back, the end of time. But does Revelation also speak about the right now? Absolutely. So I want us to get something set right now. We're not looking at a book that's just telling us about something really far away sometime in the future. We're also looking at a book that's telling us about right now. The unseen realities, yes, of the future, but the unseen realities of the here and now. There's a sense in which, yeah, when the day when Jesus returns, and I don't know when that is, and neither do you, right? That's the end of time. But there's also a sense in which we live in the end times right now. And I'll, let, me, let me show you it to you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is what the author of Hebrews says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these what? In these last days. People are like, are we living in the last days? Yep. Have been for a while. He has spoken to us by his son. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, the apostle Paul says, now these things happened to them, right? The saints of the Old Testament as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom what? The end of the ages has come. The New Testament authors had this view that Man, everything from, the, everything from the resurrection of Jesus till the time that he returns, every, everything from the first, really the first coming from the birth of Christ, everything between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ in one way is the end times. So when we say, man, are we living in the last days? Yes. Well, when's Jesus going to get back? I don't know. <laughs> but Revelation calls us to recognize the time in which we're living and to stay laser focused on being fixated on Christ till the day he comes back. It's a call to action in light of living in the last days. Revelation 1, let's finish. Verse 1, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Two, two questions to really keep in mind, and I owe this to Daryl Johnson, really good questions. He says, as you read the book of Revelation, keep two questions in mind. What did John see next? And what did John hear next? All that he saw, and we're going to read here in a second, all that he heard. Blessed are those who hear this. You're going to, we're going to see a lot of stuff, and we're going to hear a lot of stuff. And the question's not necessarily what happens next, but hey, what did John see next? And what did John hear next? Because we're going to get different pictures 
of reality using different symbols. Verse 3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. We'll come back to verse 3 at the very end. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Seven in Revelation represents the idea of spiritual completeness. Most commentators say that seven spirits represents the Holy Spirit. Or the completeness. Holy Spirit who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So you got the Trinity right there. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Christ the Son. Jesus who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loved... Just by the way, just think about the the meaningfulness of that statement to John's readers. They're being persecuted by the main king on earth, the Roman, Empire, the Roman emperor. And he says, guys, greetings to you from Jesus, who's the ruler of the kings on earth. Whoever's in office for us, Jesus is the ruler of those in office, the ruler of those in Congress, the ruler of those on the Supreme Court. And that ought to give us great comfort and hope. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Again, I don't get a chance, we don't have time this morning to comment too much on verses 5 through 8. I just wanted to read them to you because I think they're so powerful. You get to see, right, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty, that God is the sovereign one over all of history. Does that not comfort you to know that God is sovereign over all things? You and I, we experience time chronologically, frame by frame, moment by moment, and as the days pass and as the years pass, we change. It changes us. I have a lot more gray hair today than I did about five years ago. And if I continue on this pace this decade, I'm going to reach Pastor Dean's status by the end of the decade, right? And so <laughs> you can tell him I said that, right? I've said that too. We change. We experience new things and it changes us. God never does. There's nothing that panics God. There's nothing that surprises God. There's nothing that changes God. He is and he was and he is to come. And all things find and have their being in him. When you just take a moment to think about that, it changes your perspective on yourself, on your life, and on history. And then you've got the gospel right there in verses 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, amen. Freedom. If you're here today and you don't have freedom in your life, that's what Jesus came to bring to you. Freedom from the opinions of this world. Freedom from the kingdom of darkness. Freedom from your slavery to sin. Freedom from your slavery to wealth and power and the addiction to comfort. Freedom from those things that you might be in the kingdom and a priest to his God and Father. You can step into that identity today. Now, let's go back to the first four verses. In these first four verses, and, and today is a fair bit of setup, guys, so forgive me for that. But in the first four verses, we learn that Revelation is, falls into three different categories. 
three different genres. And I, I found this really helpful for just thinking about the rest of the book. Like, what is this book that we're about to read? I found this very helpful. So I'm going to give it to you, all right? Three different genres that Revelation falls into. And you see it right in the first four verses. Apocalypse, prophecy, and letter or epistle, right? Some people use that term. Apocalypse, prophecy, and letter. We're going to spend the rest of our time there. Verse 1. Why do I say it's an apocalypse? Because it says it's an apocalypse, right? Verse 1, the Greek word is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? This is where things get kind of odd. and Why revelation can be so confusing. Apocalyptic literature is a very specific type of literature. Not just revelation. There were multiple writings around this time that were apocalyptic in nature, and we've got multiple sections of the Old Testament that are apocalypses, right? Sections of Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Isaiah. And here's, you say, what does it mean that it's an apocalypse? This idea of unveiling, of sort of lifting the curtain and seeing reality for what it really is, but it uses images and symbols and numbers to do that. So apocalyptic literature shows us unseen realities using vivid imagery. Lots of symbols. Humans appear in the likeness of animals. There's a woman and a beast and a dragon and more beasts. And there's a lion, but he's also the lamb that was slain. Numbers, right? Seven. You probably should write this down. Seven represents completeness, especially in a spiritual sense throughout the book of Revelation. There are seven lampstands which represent the seven churches. Those seven churches are real churches, but they also represent all the churches of all time. There are seven judgments representing the full judgment, the complete judgment of God. The number four represents universality or worldwide scope. So there are four horsemen that come to the four corners of the earth and the four winds of the earth that represents universal in scope. The number 12 and the ways that you multiply 12 represent the fullness of God's people. You've got 12 apostles and 12 tribes and 24 elders before the throne. And there are 144,000 gathered from Israel, right? 12 times 12,000. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take note of those numbers. Okay, 12 represents spiritual sort of completeness, the fullness of God's people. Seven represents uh, spiritual completeness. Four represents universal in scope. Take note of them, but don't get lost in them. The book of Revelation was not given to us so we could take all the numbers, add them up, divide them by another number, match it with the mark of the beast, and figure out the day of Jesus' coming. That's not what Revelation is for. It baffles me sometimes when people are, are looking for like a secret code to say, I think we can predict the coming of Jesus. When the Bible literally says, he's going to come like a thief in the night. You don't know. Like it already told us, don't bother. <laughs> So the revelation must have been given, us, given to us for another reason. Kevin DeYoung says it this way. I really appreciated this article, series of articles from Kevin DeYoung. He says, because revelation is a showing book full of symbols, numbers play a crucial role. John doesn't use numbers as secret codes to crack, but as signs of completeness, totality, and perfection, or lack thereof. So we need to get the word symbolic right? You might write this down. Just write the word symbolic down. Symbol. If we can get that word in our heads now, it will help us as we study the revelation. And does that mean revelation's not true? You're like, oh, it's all symbolic? No, symbolic doesn't mean not true. Symbolic means images that represent true things. Images that represent, it's, it's using vivid imagery to show us things that are true. And you say, why? Like, why does it have to be so, have you ever wondered that? Like, why does it have to be so weird? Why didn't John, show, or Jesus show up to John and be like, John, 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ready? Got it. I'm going to win and Satan loses. Done. Write that down. Send it to the seven churches and tell them in the face of crushing pressure, keep your chins up. I think the reason, at least in part, is because that's not how people work. We need to hear the same truth in different ways. You and I know this. If we're going to hear the, if we're going to make it in the life of faith, we need to hear the same truth over and over and over, but expressed in different ways. Jesus pulled his disciples aside all the time after telling so many parables and explained to them more the kingdom using these different illustrations. All through the scriptures, it's basically teaching us the same truths over and over and over, but using different stories, different illustrations, different characters to teach us in fresh ways the same truths. In fact, uh, Eugene Peterson says this. I really, uh, this quote was great. He said, I don't read the Revelation to get additional information about the life and faith of Christ. I've read it all before in law and prophet, in gospel and epistle. Everything, listen to this. Everything in the Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. The Revelation adds nothing of new substance to what we already know. The truth of the gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There's nothing new to say on the subject, but there is a new way to say it. I read the revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. St. John uses words the way poets do, recombining them in fresh ways so that the old truth is freshly revealed and perceived. I love that. Right? You read it. and you, So listen, guys, if I come to you and just say, hey, Jesus wins, Satan loses. That communicates something. But if I come to you and say, hey, I want to tell you a story about a garden and a beast and a dragon. And then there's this woman riding this beast. And then uh, there's a lion who conquers, but he's also the lamb that was slain. Doesn't that intrigue you more? <laughs> like, tell me more, right? There's a dragon. There's a lion, but, but how can he also be the lamb that was slain? That's what Revelation does. It draws us in. So my hope is, guys, as we read this book, let the images do their work. Let the images and the symbols capture your imagination and revive your imagination and teach you the truth of the gospel, which you probably already know, right? Some of us, this may be brand new. Many of us, you're going to go, this isn't new information. It's the gospel. You know these things, but learned and perceived in a new and fresh way. Second one is this, prophecy. The book is prophecy. It is, there are things about the future, about the return of Christ, about the end of the end of times, if we can say it that way. It is also, prophecy, even in the Old Testament, was not only foretelling, here's stuff about the future, but also what's called forthtelling. Here's the truth in ways that you can perceive it right now, in ways that cut through all the noise Prophecy does it, and, it, and prophecy builds up the church and encourages the church and calls us to action. It doesn't just confuse us. So once again, Revelation, yes, has things about the future, but also much to say about the right here and right now. It <clears throat> doesn't do the, the church a lot of good in this moment if John says, hey guys, I have something for you. It's all about a couple thousand years from now. <laughs> it has nothing to do with right now. That's not very encouraging to the churches in that, in that moment. Not only is it prophecy, it's also the fulfillment of prophecy. And I found this to be just particularly powerful. Um, 278 out of the 404 verses in Revelation refer back to the Old Testament. There are over 500 allusions back to the Old Testament 
And you say, why is that so important? Over and over and over, Jesus is telling John, the revelation to John, John's telling the churches, guys, everything that's been promised to us in the Old Testament, everything about the new covenant and the time when God's going to take the law and write it on our hearts and when God's going to make us new and God's going to bring us back into his kingdom and he's going to establish the new Jerusalem and God's, we're going to be with him forever. All of that has been fulfilled in Christ and is being fulfilled in Christ. When you read the Bible, you say, what's it all about? It's heading towards Jesus, the lamb that was slain, who rose again and who one day is coming again to bring us into the new kingdom finally and fully. So Revelation is over and over and over telling us, guys, all the stuff that the prophets talked about, all the stuff of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And then third, and this is important as well, it's a letter. And this is the one I think sometimes we miss. People read Revelation, they're like, cool, images, symbols, prophecy. It's also a letter from a pastor to real churches. John writes to these real Christians and he gives this revelation, Jesus gives this revelation to John and says, I want you to send this to the churches. It was a circular letter. It would have just gone from church to church to church. They'd have read it out entirely, probably in one sitting. I decided we wouldn't do that today, right? I thought about it, reading all the, but my point in saying this is we have to remember as we study this, it was meant for us, it was meant to encourage us to comfort us. It was given to Christians in the first century who are enduring intense persecution, crushing pressure from the government and from the society and culture around them. And so to be given a revelation that says, hey guys, I got a lot to say to you about a couple thousand years from now. And mostly what I want you to do is read this letter aloud and then debate the millennium is not helpful. <laughs> to the first century Christians and I don't think overly helpful to us. I'm not saying there's no merit in some of those debates, but it is given to us as a call to action right now. It's a letter from a pastor to the church and to us to say, guys, in light of the returning Christ, in light of the kingdom of darkness that's going down as the kingdom of God grows, you need to make a decision. Who and what are you going to live for? Are you going to live for the lamb who is slain? arose again? Are you going to prioritize your life for heaven? Or are you going to give your life to pleasure and wealth and comfort and to the things that are passing away? And John is writing to Christians to encourage them and to confront them with that question and to say, guys, stand strong. Stay strong. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he's coming back and he's going to make all things new. For some of us today, that question, are you going to live your life for Jesus, that might mean conversion for you. But you give your life and you say yes to Jesus for the first time today. And for many of us today, this question that we're going to be confronted with through the book of Revelation, how will you prioritize your life? It's a question of recommitment for us. It's a question of reprioritization for us. It's going to confront us with, are we giving in, losing sight of what's important? And it's going to hold in front of us King Jesus and say, look at him in all his glory and don't lose heart. Stay focused on the King of Kings. He's coming back. Let's pray together. Father, in verse 3, 
it says, blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy, who hear it and who keep it. Lord, that is the primary challenge as we enter Revelation. It's not just understanding it. It's aligning our lives with it and responding to it in obedience. And so, Father, I do pray for our church. I pray for each one of us. God, as we study Revelation, as we read it, as we gather on Sundays and we go through it, it would not just feed our curiosity. It would cause life change in us. That, Father, it would move us to obedience. Father, we need your help in this. We want to be a church that's faithful in the midst of a changing culture, in the midst of shift of generations. Lord, we want to keep our eyes fixed on you, and we need help in doing that. So, Lord, let this study do its work. Let the images do its work. Let it move us not to just greater curiosity, but to greater levels of obedience and love for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, uh, we're going to start Revelation, I think appropriately, taking communion together. As we think about Jesus and what he has done for us, the lamb who was slain, we're going to take communion. So the Connections team is going to be around with the elements here. Uh, If you did not receive the elements, go ahead and just raise your hand and our team will be by to get that to you. As we take a moment this morning and we celebrate before we sing the lamb who was slain and his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, I want to encourage you to take a moment to pray, to look at your own heart. I did it this morning just to say, Lord, if there's anything I need to let go of, anyone I need to forgive right now as you have forgiven me, anything I need to confess to you or repent of, I just want my heart to be clear before I celebrate your body broken for me and your blood shed. Take a moment, do that now. And as you do that, I will say as well, this is for those of us who have trusted Christ with our lives. So if you're here today and you're not there yet, it's okay. We want you to keep coming. This is the only thing we would ask you to abstain from. When you take communion, you are saying that Jesus is your Lord, your Savior, and you belong to him. Take a moment in reflection, in prayer, speak to the Lord, and then we'll take communion together. Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, tells the church, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in remembrance of Jesus's body, broken in our place, we take it together.
In the same way, Apostle Paul says, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in remembrance of Jesus' blood shed on the cross for the payment of our sin and in anticipation of his return, we take it together. Amen and amen.